Bienvenidos a la Chicana Mother Work Podcast. This is Cecilia, Christine, Judy, Yvette, Michelle from the Chicana Mother Work Collective. We are a collective of Chicana, PhD, mother scholars, artists, and activists. The Chicana Mother Work Podcast aims to create a communal space for dialogue that sheds light on how the labor of mothering can be a transformative act within academia and beyond. Porque sin madres no hay revolución. Chicana Mother Work is intergenerational. Chicana Mother Work means carving space. Chicana Mother Work means healing ourselves. Chicana Mother Work is an imaginary. Chicana Mother Work makes our labor visible. Our labor is our prayer. Our mothering is our offering. Good morning, everyone, or an afternoon over there with Sonia. Um, welcome to our Chicana Mother Work podcast. This is Judy calling in or Zooming in from Ontario, California. And we are joined by Michelle Telles, who's Zooming in from Tucson, Arizona, and our special guest, Dr. Sonia Aleman, Zooming in from San Antonio, Texas. Um, we are really excited to be here today, platicando with our amazing Chicana Mama Scholar, Dr. Sonia Aleman. We have been trying to schedule this meeting for a while now, and we're glad we're finally able to do so. Today's podcast is about Chicana Mamas raising teens. Um, in our past presentations, many mamas um, have shared interest in hearing experiences of Chicana mothers raising teens. And while myself am not uh, there yet, right, um, we will have Michelle Tellez talking about her experience raising Milagro and Sonia sharing her experience raising her teens. Uh, well, at the time who were teens, Diego, he's not a teen anymore. Um, and then we have Hema Nayeli. It's an honor to have Sonia here with us today to share the good, the bad, and the much needed advice to prepare those like myself who are almost there. Um, but before we get started, let me share a little bit about how um, or what an amazing uh, mama this uh, Sonia is in my, in my eyes, right? Um, she had a huge impact in my life. I met Sonia and Enrique as a graduate student and I had the honor to babysit their kids when um, Diego was, I think, around eight years old. Um, Hema was five and Ayeli was three. And as a first generation student attending the U of U at that time, I was trying to figure out what it meant to be a graduate student, right? So I didn't really even know what the PhD life was. I was uh, doing my master's at that, at that time too. Um, but I knew you were also, uh, when I was basing, I knew you were working on your dissertation, but I didn't really understand what that meant or what that looked like, right? To me, it was you working in your office while I was watching the kids. Um, it didn't really hit me until I became a mom <laughs> that I realized, oh, this is hard, <laughs> um, right? So even though that, the, you know, you were there, it's, you're, it's, it was hard. Now, and now I understand that, right? So Sonia, along with uh, DDB, were the first Chicana Mamas with high, de with high degrees at that time that I knew. So as if that wasn't amazing enough, I had the privilege to witness what it was like raising conscious brown babies um, in a state like Utah, Utah at that time. Um, and I think that prepared me in so many ways as a mother of three now, um, that every time I always see her in conferences, every time I cry, I think it's like my me like crying, like why did you tell me this, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> I think it's, um, I think it's just kind of tears of like, whoa, like I admire you. I, you know, now I see everything you went through. I had no idea what I, what it was like to, to you know, raise uh, children, especially because we're, we're dealing with our own things um, as graduate students, as women of color, right? So having that and still have to raise and keep up a good smile with our kids and our strength, right? All of that, it's, it's magical in raising such amazing kids that you all have raised. Um, so I wanna thank you before we begin and I'm super excited to get started and soaking everything in, taking notes um, from both of you um, to help us out, those that are not there yet. So um, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Doctora Sonia Lemans file. Sonia Lemán is an associate professor in the Race, Ethnicity, Gender and Sexuality Studies Department and Mexican American Studies Program at University of Texas San Antonio. She received her BA from St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas, and an MA from the University of Texas Austin, and a PhD um, from the University of Utah. She was born and raised 90 miles south from where she now teaches and she studies mainstream media representation of communities of color, media content produced by communities of color, manifestations of race, racism and whiteness in the media and in education. And she, she and her two sisters were raised by a single mom and her maternal grandparents. She decided at the age of seven that she was going to earn her a PhD and she pursued this goal while she and her husband raised three children. She draws on critical race theory and Chicano feminism to inform her scholarship, pedagogy and mothering. 
And also, she is an amazing baker. This is side note for herself. <laughs> and she's strong will for cooking bomb non-vegetarian food for her family. Um, so, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Judy. That was really nice. Oh. And I only have wonderful memories um, as and think of you as part of the team that made it all possible for us. So, thank you for inviting me to in that team. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful backstory. Welcome, welcome, Doctora Sonia Aleman. Thank um, you. So I how are we all doing? I mean, we're still currently um in this really uncertain moment, and I know that we all have varying levels of shelter in place. Uh does California is still in shelter in place? Does Texas have one? And Arizona is sort of like half the state is doing it. Some like my city, Tucson is doing it, uh, but not every city is doing it. How about you, Sonia? Currently we are, um, and we've been, the city of San Antonio has been at stay at home. I want to say for, um, time has, has become so nebulous um, <laughs> in the past couple of weeks. So I don't even, I don't know if it's accurate to say three weeks, four weeks, like it's just kind of a blur, um, probably around that mark. Um, but, you know, we're one of the, the states who, whose governor is currently saying today, as early as today, he wants to open up restaurants and businesses again. So I don't know if that's going to happen. I know San, San Antonio probably won't. Um, follow suit. We have a mayor who's um, who's a lot smarter <laughs> than um, some of the <laughs> yeah um, than some of the our decision makers these days. Um, so yeah, we have it in place. Um, however, I mean, for us personally, you know, we just moved back into our home. Um, it's been, I guess, twenty four days. Um, uh, we had to we we spent ten months rebuilding our home after an accident displaced us um and so the this past past month has been tons of people in and out of my home finishing up that rebuild so we've been quarantined and self isolation but we have people coming in all the time so I feel like we've kind of been cheating and um and haven't been doing it right but uh, you know, I need, I need my toilets to flush. I need my fridge to work. I need <laughs> the, my yeah. lights to turn on. I yeah. need my Wi-Fi set up. So, you know, we've had to, and luckily for us, all these are essential workers. So we've been able to have access to them and they've been in our home, but we haven't been kind of like in complete total isolation. Yeah, it's hard. I think that if, I think that if we're doing, I, I actually had a similar thing. I didn't have to completely move out of my house, but in December I had a major leak, which then uncovered mold in like multiple oh, no. areas. Um, and in it, I barely like about a week ago, I have a full kitchen again. So también, like I've had people come in and, you know, not a ton. And I've told them, you know, I have asthma. I'm really concerned. So they come and they wear their and 95 masks and wear gloves. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we do what we can to the best of our ability to practice social distancing, to take care of ourselves and our families. And, and, and that's what we can do. You know, that's, that's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's been and like that for all of us, right? I don't even know what day. I just know today, Friday, because we schedule, <laughs> we schedule on Friday for podcasts. That's how I keep up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then one of my really closest, closest friends um, right now is fighting COVID in New York City. Oh, no. He lives in Queens. Yeah. And I text him every day. And then on the days that I don't hear, like yesterday, I didn't hear from him all day. And and it just was terrifying, you know? And then yeah. he, he texted me this morning. He said that, um, you know, I'm just going to read it to you. He says, um, last night was miserable. I experienced fevers, heavy sweats, an episode of vertigo and just complete misery. So, you know, this is like for all the naysayers, you know, we, all of us have someone that we care about who, you know, um, is fighting this terrible thing and it and you know we just have to do the best that we can to move beyond our individualism and think about the collective good you know mm -hmm. so uh with that said i'm glad we're safe i'm glad we're here uh judy did you want to ask the first question yes i'll ask the first question to both of you um 
how would you describe yourself as teens? What would, and what was your relationship like with your mother as teens? So whoever wants to go first. <laughs> Sonia, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I guess I would describe myself. I was, I was very studious um, through my teenage years. I mean, I didn't become studious as a teenager. I just carried it over from elementary. So I was very bookish. I, you know, read all the time. Um, I was shy. I had um, an older sister who we happened to be um, in the same grade because she was only 10 months older than I am. And um, her birthday fell late in September. So we started school together. So she, she was the, the extrovert. She was the, the one who, who made our friends. And so I just kind of followed, you know, her lead and her friends became my friends. Um, and, and so I, you know, I just um, was really quiet. Um, and, but I had, I had built-in friends at home. I mean, I had my older sister and my younger sister, we were all three very close in age. So we did everything together. So it wasn't like, like lonely or I didn't know how to be around people. I just was, you know, quiet kind of kid. Um, and, and I thought of myself for the longest time um, as kind of as a one of three. It took me a while to like see myself as a different or separate from my sisters. That didn't happen until, you know, after college really, because we just were, were so close. We did everything um, together. And in terms of my relationship with my mom, I mean, we, you know, she was the, the primary parent. I mean, I was raised by um, her. I didn't have a two-parent household. Um, I had a relationship with my dad, but he didn't live where I lived. You know, we saw him not even as often as once a month. Um, you know, we probably talked to him that often. It wasn't like he was a missing figure, but he just wasn't a daily figure. Um, and, and my, you know, grandparents, you know, did, um, caretaking and you know my grandmother's one that fed us every day and um but my mom was the one who kind of made all the decisions um and of you know how we were to be raised and we had a really strong relationship because it was just the kind of like the four of us and she was very open with us and um honest you know talked to, she was a big believer in in communication um, and so that's what our relationship was really good. And we did hit a rocky patch in high school. Um, she and I did. That was a result of stuff that I was going through and dealing with at the time. And so I um, kind of, I don't know if taking it out on her is the right thing, but it was, um, it, it really hurt our, our communication uh, the way we communicated yeah so I, I was struggling with an eating disorder in high school and um it was something that I um felt almost like ownership over like I, I I realized what I was doing before anybody else around me realized it and I, I understood that if they knew they would try to stop me and so I tried to keep them from knowing and felt like I was almost superior and then treated her that way, like that she had no idea. And um, it, it took us a while to recover from that. Wow, that's really insightful as a young person to, mm -hmm. to, to know that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, I didn't make it easy for her and I feel really bad about it now. <laughs> um, but at the time, like it was just all, it was so all consuming for me. Right, like it was just everything about my life was pivoted on that because it was, um, for me, right, that man, that was a manifestation of like perfectionist and control tendencies. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so it was mine, like it was like entirely mine. And, and it was the way that I felt safe and like I was coping. And so anything that, that tried to disrupt that was an enemy right like so it was hard I, I it was not a good time and, and she just wanted me to be safe and, and healthy and and I felt like I was the better one to make decisions about that <laughs> clearly I wasn't but you know that was my my juvenile 
logic at the time. Well, that makes sense because I think as teens, there's a sense of like immortality and like, you know, it all and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's interesting that you can go look back and remember that. Now, so you said your relationship with your mother has, has recovered and repaired. Um, Is that still true today? I mean, as all mothers and daughters, I assume, like we hit bumps every once in a while. Um, But and clearly I'm a different person. She's a different person. So yeah, I mean, she um, has been such a major force. She's who I model my parenting on. Um, I I can admire and love her and still be <laughs> at times frustrated by her, her choices sometimes now and, and um, ways I feel like she's not as, um, doesn't assert her agency in ways that I saw her do before. Um, and so I get really frustrated with her sometimes, but, um, but she's, um, you know, we, we talk often, she cares about, you know, my kids, she's present in their lives. Um, even though I'm in Texas now and we're only 90 miles apart, I don't get to see her, um, as often as I know she would like, just because, um, it's hard for her to travel to San Antonio and it's hard for me to get away (laughs) um outside of this crazy time um but yeah I would say it's good that's wonderful rely on her yeah yeah that's wonderful um thank you so much for sharing Sonia and there's so much there to unpack even as I'm thinking about my own daughter and the similar uh ways in which you know we or they, you know, youth and teens try to control, you know, find some way to control. And it must be because there's so many things out of their control, right? Yeah. That, yeah. you know, your body is the one thing you feel like you, you know, can. So um, let, before we dive into that, let me just answer Judy's question as well and say that um, I think I was a little bit of a, I had multiple personalities as a teen. So I very similarly studious, you know, advanced classes, AP classes, you know, um, and very interested in like going to college and all that. But, you know, there was this part of me that also I think had a, a tendency to become a little bit unleashed and trying in, you know, ninth grade, trying you know, different things, um, to figure, to test my limits, I guess. And, um, luckily I found sports like the kind of, cause I always have been a runner, but, but in ninth grade I had stopped running and kind of stopped doing anything like that. And it was in my sophomore year where sports and student government sort of pulled me in and that kept me on track, uh, uh, you know, to, to do well in school. But, you know, similarly, I mean, I, I always joke that my only friend in fifth grade was a librarian because we had moved and I didn't know anybody. And so for like three years, I would walk to the library, come home and read like five books in a week and then go back. That was just like the thing that I did. But, um, in my household, I think I'm the youngest and my older brothers um, are, are my half brothers. So they weren't necessarily we didn't get raised with them because they were so much older than me, Um, but close to them nonetheless. Now, of course, in adulthood, much more, but then it just felt like it was me and my sister and my parents. Um, And my mom was from a small town in Mexico. And my dad was from the big city, Chicago, you know, Chicano, her, a Mexican immigrant. And so, you know, just like, they were so different and I think I I clung on to a little bit more of my dad because I thought he understood what it was like growing up in the U.S. like the kinds of things that I needed to do and etc but I was very close to my mom when I was young because I was sick I was I had um I had several illnesses that you know kept me pretty sick for for a couple years at a time and so but something about like turning into a teenager and wanting freedom, um, definitely I, I enacted that all out on my mom. And I, and it's terrible. Cause just listening to your regrets, Sonia, I like, I feel it. 
um, especially now as a mother and now facing this with my 14 year old daughter. But um, so me and my, my mom would get into these really crazy fights and I would just, yeah, I mean, I, I never was to the point where I would cuss at my mom because hell no, that didn't happen in our home. But still, like I would, you know, just push back and want to do things and get tired of, you know, their, them being strict. And, but it, I rarely fought with my father. It was always with my mother. And, um, you know, I think that then when I went off to college, um, my mom, I don't think she really ever forgave me for leaving, you know, cause mm -hmm. I'm the only one that left out of five of us. Um, everybody's still back at home in San Diego and I'm, and I haven't gone back, you know? And so I'm the only one that left. And I think in those four years I was away at college, she, I think, I don't, I think she came to visit me once, you know, whereas my dad would come often. And since my dad died, um, while I was at UCLA as an undergrad, then it was just me and my mom, you know, and my mom. And, um, and we tried to repair that relationship in my twenties. I remember trying, but I think I was so, especially because I was so movement oriented and radical and wanting to move away from the Catholic church and all these things that for her were just so hard, um, that, you know, I don't know that we ever fully, you know, recovered and, and, and then we didn't get an opportunity to, because then she got sick and she died when, um, my daughter was five and it's, and I carry that feeling of regret too. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I wish we would have been able, I wish I would have been able to become an adult with my mom. And yes, you know, she died when I was in my thirties, but I don't know your twenties or I'm, I think you're still figuring stuff out in your twenties and you're not completely, mm -hmm homebound and so and like I said she got sick maybe when I was 29 um, and then died a few years later so we just never really you know recovered and so I, I always think about that with my daughter you know and I think I'm kind of passing that trauma to her of you know not having any regret <laughs> any regrets and I don't know I need to take it back because she also has the right to push back and and be free but it is a it's a grief that I carry around that relationship mm -hmm. and wishing that we had had a time to, to repair. Thank you for sharing both of you. Um, this is so powerful. So even to Yona, but, um, I know, I know. I'm glad I'm not seeing you all because I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I'm like, ah. um, so I think, um, this question is, is, uh, do you feel, I think you shared your relationship with your, with your mother. Um, do you, I think you're sort of under, you, you understand, um, how it was what you sort of needed from your mom at that time so do you feel like you've sort of understood that and now you're raising your children differently where you have sort of that communication or do you or have you just sort of let them grow because you knew what it was like to sort of learn on your own how, how are you all doing that oh Sonia what do you think um I mean there's some clear differences just in terms of like the privilege that my kids have now that I didn't have right so you know one is clearly related to to class I mean my mom was raising us on a teacher's aid salary for you know most of elementary probably through junior high and then a teacher's salary and so um I I knew what it was like I have a very clear sense of what it's like to parent when you live paycheck paycheck to paycheck and you don't have savings and you you know, my grandmother had government assistance and that was part of what fed us. And so I, it limits kind of like what choices you have as a parent, right? And, um, and opportunities. So my, my kids, they don't have any, um, even though they haven't grown up in a two income family their whole life, the majority of their life they have are the ones that they have like clear memories of. So you know, they have a very different sense of, of the world um, and their their place in it than, than I did. But I, my mom was um, very clearly identified as a Chicana. So I was raised by a, a Chicana who had these like, you know, a political, a critical consciousness who was um, wanting uh, for women to be empowered, who was a feminist. And so that was how she raised us, right? She, um, talk to us about being strong and independent. She herself, um, you know, was modeled that for us. 
she um, was very, I mean, one of the things that, that I'm so grateful for, which is really like the bedrock for me as a parent is the fact that she was so honest with us about everything. Um, even, you know, when times were tough economically, she explained that to us. When my, she, divorced, she and my dad divorced, she told us why. Um, when it came time to explain, you know, what having a period was like, what, what sex was all about, she sat us down and we talked through it. We could come to her and ask her questions. She answered every single one of them. Um, when there was any kind of like family drama, she made it, it helped us understand what was going on. Like she never kept secret. She never told us we were too young to understand. She never told us that. Uh, she always made it seem like information was was powerful, right? Like it was you. Like you could then make decisions because you had this information, and um, that's you know that's one thing that that I know that I do with my kids because that's how it was done for me and I just am so grateful um because it's it's just has it has worked <laughs> um it has, it has felt like a um a really good style um and and way to a, a value right to to place it place to base everything off of so um yeah very very different kind of socioeconomic status um but in terms of like what's really important kind of driving how i make parenting decisions or how i communicate with my kids and the relationship i i have with them and i want to have with them um it's it's the same i would say it's the same yeah that's powerful what a what a wonderful model um yeah i think for me it's interesting because my mother you know, really is the root of Chicana mother work when I first started writing about it. And if you look at like my 2011 or 2000, yeah, or uh, it was a chapter in a book called Latina, Chicana Latina Mothering. Um, and, and it's all about my mom and how the reason um, I am who I am is because of how she instilled this, um, this value of our cultura, you know, our language, the place that we're from and uh and really i saw it as a you know as much as when i was a teen and i pushed against it um i really she re it really was a radical act of resistance on her part to ensure that you know what in whatever environment we were growing up in we remembered who we were you know and for her it meant you know that you're not a gringa not that gringas right like you know don't don't become too Americanized basically is what is her way of what was her way of sort of pulling me back in if she saw me doing things that you know she was like uh-uh you know you're not doing that um and then by taking us back to her pueblo which I very much feel I'm from Tomatlan like my grandmother's house has been there for four generations and I very much identify with being from Tomatlan you know and um, and have a strong connection also because my mother is the only one who immigrated so she's similar and it's funny right because we talked about this at some point later is that she's the only one that left home too you know um, but all her siblings stayed in Mexico so like for me I don't have that experience of you know my family being in the U.S. my mom's side um, they were always in Mexico so we were so I was there every summer and maybe every Christmas and maybe another time you know I did my quince there I was baptized there I was confirmed in this little pueblo you know what I mean saying like I was I'm from, I'm from the Matlan you know and so so that's you know what I think about my mom and that's absolutely something that I um, try to do with my own daughter and raising her to remember who she is which is different because now she's a you know what is that if I'm first generation? So she's second generation, but then on my dad's side, cause he was from Chicago, I was like generation and a half. So my, my daughter, you know, at this point doesn't have, like it's her grandparents that are, or her grandmother who was from Mexico. So that kind of seems weird. So I do try to make sure that we go back enough so that she also feels connected, but it's, it's completely different for her. The one thing that I think was hard for my mom was to be open, you know? I mean, she was a selfless, caring, generous you know purse giver caregiver um it was really hard for her to explain you know 
the, anything bodily functions. I mean, sex was completely taboo, right? Because it was a sin to even think about it, you know? And I remember there was a girl in my high school who had gotten acne. I don't know why this came, or maybe she brought it up. It wasn't even her, this girl. I think she, she was like, you know, if you even think about sex, you're going to get pimples. <laughs> and, that's a good one to threaten <laughs> and then i remember seeing this woman this young you know my, a friend of mine on campus with all these pimples and i was like <gasps> she's thinking about sex you know and how crazy right like how crazy is that um <laughs> and so you know i think that for for my daughter then i i try very hard to just be super open you know about everything you know like just the other day we were talking about vaccines and, um, you know, since she was 11, they've been telling us that she needs to take the HPV, HPV vaccine. And I'm hesitant. Mm -hmm. I'm just hesitant because of different notions that I have around um, vaccines and trying to like have a balance to how I administer them to my daughter. I've always been, she had, she's vaccinated, but, but at a different schedule. And so so we were just recently just talking about this and, um, and she's like, yeah, I don't think I need that, you know, vaccine. I was like, well, I mean, if you promise to have, uh, you know, protected sex until for forever, then yeah, maybe you won't need it. Um, and then she's like, well, what if I want to have a baby? Then I have to have unprotected. <laughs> and then just in the back of, anyway, so that conversation, we're going back and forth and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot imagine ever having this conversation with my mother when I was 14. Like it would never, it just wouldn't have happened, you know? So I do think that, um, I try to be more open, but, but I, but I still have like the, you know, she'll always show me these like memes or like videos, you know, of, and they're titled like the Mexican mom, you know? And so, and it's like, you know, the, the yelling, eh, you know what I mean? And it's like all these like really funny videos and she's, so she still relates to that. And I got to say, I'm a little proud about that because I want to be able to make sure that she knows, you know, okay. <laughs> what? You wanted her to be able to know what the chakla is. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, but just kind of like some of that stuff that like, you know, maybe, I don't know, just, you know, like, you know, she'll show me this meme, like these videos of like the mom coming in and being like, ¿Por qué no has limpiado tu cuarto? Why haven't she cleaned your room? And oh my God. And then like the mom starts cleaning it as she's yelling, you know? <laughs> and she's like, that's you, mommy. And I'm like, ah, you know, so, I mean, so there's like a balance, I think, between trying to, and I, one thing I think is funny is that I remember being, you know, when she was young, when she was a baby, it was like, I only talked to her in Spanish. I wanted her to learn her, 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 that language first. And then, I mean, there was other things that were going on, but once she turned like four, no, 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 maybe like a little bit younger, like two or three, when you know, when you really start having to discipline, like te not discipline, but like teach them, like, yeah, it's disciplining. Um, I remember I could only do it in English. And then I was laughing because I was like, oh, it's because like, I only know how to, you know, regañar in Spanish. Like, I don't know how to like calmly talk to somebody in Spanish. It has to be in English. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that when I was, when she was little. And so there was a point where we transitioned from pre predominantly Spanish speaking to, to English speaking. So, I mean, and I'm a single mom. So like a lot of the socioeconomic stuff on the one hand, yes, like, she is uh, has access to like a laptop. Like the other day, she's like, "Oh, I need another lap you know computer," and I'm like, "Hell, who, who do you think you are, girl?" Um, she's got a phone, and you know, so that she's got access to things. But I'm still a single mom. I still struggle. You know, I just found that we're getting furloughed at the university, and that's going to affect me drastically. Like, I don't have support. I've been a single mom, and a, a really not just a single mom, a lone mom is something that I've been re recently really trying to capture because. I don't have like um, her father in, involved and I don't have family close by. The, the, that initial decision to leave home meant that I, I created a life for myself away. And so we are doing this by ourselves far from family. And um, so I think kind of being a single mom creates that uh, working class sensibility in both of us, you know, and her as well, which, um, 
is different from my status maybe as a as a professor at the university. Yeah, I was going to say that um, one of the things that was that for me is so I think is so remarkable is that um, like I didn't have a, a typical uh, you know Mexican mom like she was clearly Chicana she was raising us with those kinds of you know political beliefs or ideologies and um, so it wasn't like we were being raised to always wash dishes or, um, you know, serve the man in our family or anything like that, right? We weren't, they, those expectations were in the house. Even when my grandparents there, um, you know, they were a daily presence, but they never like superimposed that or tried to challenge my mom. Um, my daughters, I, I tell them all the time and they think it's, they, they, they just find it fascinating that um, you know, like once we got to high school age and we were, um, you know, we all three of us had um, boyfriends and we would go out and, um, you know, leave the house. And one of the things that we we did was go to um, the Hano dances and my grandfather, um, you know, never like challenged that, like said, you know, what time are you coming home or why are you letting them go or anything like that, as a matter of fact, he would say like, oh, you guys are, you know, and he would polish our boots for the night out on the town. Oh, um, <laughs> and, and um, you know, he was the one that, he was like our, our chauffeur, um, you know, any kind of, we were all cheerleaders, we were, we were all in band, we were all in volleyball and um, all of those extracurricular activities so he would be the one that would take us to practice pick us up from practice pick them up from games you know take us to games um it was never like why are you guys always out of the house why are you guys you know on the streets that I know a lot of my friends uh, my peers at the time right that they did have to like manage that in their household um and that wasn't um the case for us and I and I, I recognized it then at the time I remember because um my best friend when my mom had like the sex talk with all three of us I remember the day she did it she took us out one by one on the porch and explained everything right and um and then we told our friends right like oh my god did you know this <laughs> and sharing this information and somehow it got back to my best friend's mom and she's like she asked my mom to be the one to tell her daughter because she couldn't like there was just no way she could envision herself having that conversation and that was a friend who um like I could go over to her house but she couldn't come over to my house like her parents were much more traditional and I remember thinking oh that's so weird that her mom can't wouldn't want to talk to her about that like this is important um so I, I recognized it then and certainly now um that it was just um, we had such an unusual structure um, about how we were parented and, and the fact that she was able to, you know, make those decisions and was supported. Like it wasn't a constant fight. You know what I mean? In the household, like she was bucking, you know, trends. Like everybody kind of agreed this was the best, <laughs> the best way to parent us. And so I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that we didn't have to grow up with those kinds of tension amazing that's really cool and I think I that's why I feel so lucky that I was able to sort of be welcomed in your home where I could see that because I grew up with that um you know the, the mom that we didn't talk about sex uh, we didn't do any of those mm -hmm. kind of things um and so I remember when I would babysit him I, everybody knew where you were all at and I was like what you know all this stuff like yeah my, my <laughs> guy's here he's presenting here he has class here and to me it was like wow like they share this information with you my mom would be like ahorita vengo like don't worry about it <laughs> you know <laughs> or dad, you know, you just didn't ask. And so it's, for me, that was amazing um, that the communication you all had. So it was, it was very um, present. And I love that, that they knew your work. They knew what you were doing. They knew where you stood. Like it, the, it was there. And so that was really um, powerful for me. And I think it helped me even with, um, we would play board games, right? And so I have all these board games with my kids that I never had growing mm -hmm. up, but I knew that <laughs> that was so helpful for them to understand life. We would talk about it with him and Ayeli. And so I, I would I'd have these same conversations that I had with, with the girls, with my kids. And, and it's something, so it allowed me to be open with my kids and be like, you know what? It is a good thing to talk to them. And, you know, I didn't grow up mm -hmm. into having that um but i saw the benefits through your through your kids so thank you um so i wanted to i i had a question but i think we can jump into what's the biggest change that you've seen in your children in their transitioning to teenhood 
I would, I, I when, when, um, Hema went off her first, her freshman year at UT Austin, um, <laughs> it became, like, it was a really tough year for us, and we kept saying, God, we thought that at this point, you know, we would be kind of, like, coasting, right, we have one at home, <laughs> and we were, we were, we could see the future, right, where it was just us two, um, which hadn't, that hasn't been what our, our married life together. We've been parents pretty much the whole time. Um, but then we were like dealing with adult children, not teen. I mean, she was 18, but it's still an adult, right? And and they're making adult decisions and it was so hard. Um, we, you know, all that open communication, all the, all the things that we wanted them to be critical thinkers and to question, um, it all came back to bite us in the ass. And, <laughs> And our, our um, you know, for, for me, who has very strong controlling tendencies to realize that, that that was an illusion and you have absolutely no control once they are making their own decisions, it was really tough to know then what do you do? How do you parent um, without like acting like a crazy person or without acting or without like trying to convey um, the not the benefit of your experience in a way that didn't sound like patronizing or condescending That's or okay. it was it was really hard and we would we were like dumbfounded um so many times when you know she would tell us about a, a situation or a choice that she was making we're like no <laughs> don't <laughs> um and and then just figuring out how do we how do we do this how do we you know engage in a conversation and trust like it, it just it was a whole different ball game absolutely wow i love how you describe that like how to give them your experience without <clears throat> patronizing them because that's something that i still struggle with because i I want to be like, I figured it all out. Year 14, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my students are the ones that remind me, like, that have reminded me over the years when I'm, like, talking about my daughter or whatever. They're like, she's going to have her own journey, Dr. Thais. Like, she's going to, and I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> you know? And it's hard to let go of that control. And I think one of the big things for me that, I saw in the transition, I mean, she's still 14, so we're still at the cusp of it. I think, I think for me, the hardest parts with my mom were yet to come, you know? So mm -hmm. I would say 15, 16 probably were the hardest, harder years, but maybe a little bit 14 too, because I think I wanted to date and they didn't let me. And so anyway, um, but the thing that I saw the most change in my daughter is that, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, there's this little person that just was so full of light and energy and joy and excitement and silliness. And a lot of that is still in Milagro, but it's a lot more measured and tempered. And, um, and as they're figuring life and the world out, I think, you know, that, that little person that we once knew just is gone. And I miss her. I do. Like, I, I miss, that little person who, you know, um, would just, I don't know, crawl in bed with me. I mean, and periodically she still does, you know, it's not completely gone. I'm lucky in that regard, but you know, the, there was just something about the way she moved in the world that's different now, you know, and I don't want to say, oh, she's jaded now, <laughs> but I, I can't think of another word to describe, like just that in her self-realization of being a human in this world with all of its, I don't know, problems, um, I think there comes a, there's a little bit of like shade on the sun now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is sad to me, you know? Um, yeah. and, and I don't know, I, I don't know if there's anything I could really do about it. And, and I want to, I want to be able to be like, enjoy life and it's beautiful but you know it's like I can't do that anymore yeah I remember with my son when I mean because he was I mean my firstborn um so we were in, incredibly close you know we just 
um, were have very whether it was because of nurture or because he just you know was was born with very similar personality um, you know we were both kind of like introverts and and like reading all the time and like you know we read uh, in, in the together and the kind of the games he played he wasn't like a boy's boy like he wasn't the kind of boy who had to be moving and jumping and climbing and running and destroying like he wasn't like that he was very kind of like more you know quiet um son and so we were just really close like like even when he would play right he was like always physically close to me um and then when we, you know 12 13 then that wasn't how he wanted to spend his time and so um and he you know as he's um you know, experiencing different things, thinking different things. There was that disconnect. And I remember that being um, hard and for me, like missing that um, and trying to do what I could to maintain that um, and the things that we could still stay connected on, but it was, it was different. And, and I just had to like, accept that, um, the the time that we did have that that and that it was a strong enough foundation that we were going to come back to it um and and now you know that he's about to he'll turn 24 this may i would say that we're a lot close now but it took a while right i mean he just he did he had to go on that journey he had to become his own person um and you know that's where it starts kind of in the in the teen years so there is a bit of a loss um but I'm happy to say that um, it's it is different, but there's still a lot of like elements and tendrils of us, how we used to be, um, still part of of our current relationship. Yeah, no, that's that's really great to hear because since I'm like just starting this journey, it's nice to know that there's a return. Um, and yeah, and it's not to say that you know we this is part of, this is what we want them to do, right? There's like this growth. And I, for me, when I think about, you know, my experience as a mother, I've loved every stage, you know, even the first two years when, you know, I was alone and nursing and up, I mean, I don't think I slept for two years, you know, and, um, and, and I, and I remember thinking, okay, this is only going to be for like a year where she's this little, so just hang in there, you know, and that's kind of how I've taken every like stage because then like the terrible twos or whatever come and then you're like ah this is hard and then I mean for honestly between four and 12 like it was pretty easy sailing with my daughter she's a she's pretty pretty like centered and you know grounded but now that we're at this point where I see her pushing back a little bit more I'm just trying to embrace it in the same way like oh okay like this is just this moment and you know, how can I remember? Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to say is like, I remember in my journal when I was like in my teen years, remember writing, and I should find these journals, so I don't know where they're at. Um, I remember writing, I have to remember when I'm a mom that I don't want to crush my children's spirit. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I think about that now and I'm like, oh, am I crushing my daughter's spirit by like not doing X or you know not being understanding or not da, 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 da. and uh and so you know because yeah i mean it's all about at this stage right they're just trying to figure themselves out and we can we kind of have to guide them gently um but not overpower them and, and that's a real tough tough place to be it is because you want both things like you <laughs> you want them to be independent you want to raise people who, who can care for themselves and be good people in the world but you also want them close to you <laughs> and, you know help be a part of every decision and you know you want to like and so yeah there's like you're constantly battling that as they're moving along their their journey uh, and I think you know one thing that I also have learned you know in in being the youngest I got to see uh you know in my immediate family I have like my my first niece uh, is only three years younger than me, right? So we're basically cousins. But in seeing all my nephews and nieces and all that, like one thing that I learned is that back then, and that I feel like I'm trying to do now, is that, uh, you know, so oftentimes parents, when their teens get old enough to be a little bit more self-sufficient, is when 
there's a little bit of like a release on both ends. And I'm realizing that like the teenage years is kind of when you have to hold on even tighter, not control wise, but to stay close or try to stay close in ways that remind them that you're still there. Um, and, and just not, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I feel like I've seen a lot of, you know, folks and parents in their teen years, kind of like kids are doing their own thing, but there's no connections now because like, ah, they don't care. They want to do that, you know? Um, and so it's like about trying to find ways for my daughter to know, okay, yeah, continue growing, becoming independent, figuring yourself out, but I'm still here. I'm still going to be present and, you know, following up and asking questions and anyway. So that's, that's something that I'm trying to do. I, I totally agree. And that was one of the things that I thought about in preparing for today. Like, what are the things that I am deliberate about doing? Um, and one of them is to, um, through all their different, you know, stages, is to stay invested, um, watch what they watch, read what they read, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, um, ask it different ways in order to make sure they know that you care and that you are like part of their life because they are going to get other interests but I know who their friends are I know when their friends are not their friends I know when their friends I know who their frenemies are I know when they're having a fight with their friends um I know you know like those are the things that I make it a point to know because I want to have that relationship not that I'm telling them oh you should tell your friend this or you shouldn't be friends with her anymore then. I mean, if, if she's asking me for that kind of advice, then we'll talk it through. But just so that they, you know, it's very obvious that you're invested, right? That you maintain that connection. They may not realize that they need it, that they want it, that, that there isn't a switch that happens that automatically they're from young to older. They still vacillate between that all through the teen years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you still have to be there. And that's the way to make it that connection possible yeah, yeah and, and they have to and sometimes they don't want it right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't want it. stop asking questions and then you kind of have to like sometimes I have to be like all cool like we're in the car and all of a sudden she's just got like wanting to talk about something you know and instead of me I don't want to seem too eager or too overly interested because then all of a sudden that might trigger some sort of like climbing up you know what I mean so I just try to be cool like oh yeah uh, uh-huh oh yeah that's okay uh-huh you know I just try to but I want to know all of it and I just have to figure out ways to just not overwhelm her <laughs> yeah no you're right sometimes you just have to like okay that I have to put in my back pocket and I'll come back to that later because right now is not the time to engage that but I need that piece of information <laughs> to right. talk about again later and and it's not to say that that I do that right at the time um that it's perfect but um that's what i'm striving for yeah no absolutely that's that's is super important and I, yeah i think a lot of times we think that once they get to their teens you kind of let them grow on their own but i think uh thank you for that advice of like no this is the most that you want to be more engaged let them know that you're still there you're still present so thank you i think um because you have sort of different stage right so diego's not a teen anymore do you feel like your involvement with uh, nayeli who's the youngest teen is that changed based on your experience with the older ones or do you still try to be the same with them it was there some that you learn a different approach um i try i mean what's different is um i was is being interested in the same things like her generation is all into the tiktoks now obsessed with them <laughs> and that's like they can watch them all day and like memorize them like they're i don't know like sonnets or something right like they use them like to communicate and so because it's such a foreign kind of platform for me um, she even said yesterday, she was like, I miss talking to my friends because they get my references and you guys don't get my references. It's <laughs> a good one. You're <laughs> saying that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm, and I'm like, shit, now do I need a TikTok account? Like, do I have to go <laughs> and start watching these things so that I can talk to her in a language that she understands um, or that, you know, relates to her? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have like a different kind of energy level at this point in my life. Like, I think with my, like with Diego, I would have been all in. Like he wanted Pokemon. I knew everything about Pokemon, right? Like, yes, this is what he cares about. I'm going to go and find out everything. And with this, I'm like, eh, 
do I want to go and do TikTok? Like, <laughs> can I talk to her about something else? <laughs> yeah, <that's> so funny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, the intent, like, my, my intention is to do that. My intention is to still be involved in present. And I, she will say that I, you know, pester her with questions um, that, she, that I think is still the same. Um, but I do think that we, um, like, she herself, has the benefit of seeing two other older siblings navigate you know through teenage years and college years so she she herself is at a different place than them so it's a little bit easier because it's not like we're that these are foreign things or like oh I don't know what that is or I don't know what that looks like so it's almost like a little it's it's been a little bit easier if that makes sense mm, yeah yeah, it's that it that that's an, an interesting thing to think about as well in terms of the all the social media and digital technologies and devices that we didn't have growing up. And I always try to think about like, okay, you know, how do I compare this to my to my life? I mean, first of all, my daughter is not a reader. She's much more of a doer. She'll make slime. She'll make, I mean, she'll, she's like, mm -hmm. oh, this desk is loose. Let me like fix it. You know, like mm -hmm. she's just like that kind of, has that brain. And I'm like, let me go sit down and read a book for 10 hours, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so it's hard sometimes to think back about my own, you know, teenage years. But I do remember like listening to tapes, mixtapes and like recording on the radio and spending hours in my room doing that. Right. And so then I try to look in that to her wanting to spend hours on, you know, TikTok and Instagram and all of these things. And, and I'm like, okay, it should, but then like, there's this like part of my brain that's like, but you know, how much do I need to control this? And how, where do I draw the line? And, you know, and then she'll say, but mommy, like, something was happening. Oh, when Bernie stepped out of the, um, uh, stepped off the campaign trail, I said, oh, I'm so sad, you know, Bernie is no longer, and she's like, yeah, but he's still, um, I mean, you can still vote for him in some of the primaries, and I looked at her, <laughs> and she's like, uh-huh, I learned that on TikTok, okay, <laughs> and it cracked me up, because I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, she's like, you see there's useful things on TikTok, you know, um, so yeah, so it's like, I don't know how you handle it, Sonia, uh, because, yeah, I, I go back and forth a feeling, and I know it's different for me, because it's, we're by ourselves. It's just me, Lagro, and I. We have a dog. And um, and when she was younger, there were moments where I just let her watch Disney Channel or something. Like, when she was, like, five is when I started letting her do that kind of stuff. Before that, I was pretty – I tried to be really strict about screen time. And I pretty much was. But they, And so now – you know, like I, I do set limits on her apps, on her phone. Like I have control of them and I don't know if that's, you know, she'll show me videos of moms who are like, you know, um, parents don't control your kids. Da, da, da. And then and I'll be like, whatever, that's a white mom. I'm not a white mom, you know? And, and, you know, so I go back and forth of like, how much do I give her? And she pretty much has a full range of access, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But there are moments where I get really like panicky about it. And I don't know. I don't know how you figure that out, Sonia. Well, it's definitely new. Like I feel so grateful that that I didn't have little ones when when having a handheld screen was just yeah. the norm. Like, yeah. you know, I didn't have to raise toddlers in that kind of environment. I didn't, you know, um, and so I'm so glad that at least yes, it's part of her teenage years, but it wasn't part of like when she was a baby or like that it you know we it wasn't part of our home life we weren't doing that then um and now i mean I, we don't we don't have any like we're not using um those apps that allow us to monitor or limit or anything like that um you know we pretty much trust her that um if if she were a different kid if she was not you know doing well in school if she was um rebellious if she was you know talking back I think then we would look at things like that but because she isn't doing any of those things right she's like doing all the things she's supposed to she's engaged she cares about the world she asks important questions she uses it as much to get information as she does to entertain herself like we kind of trust that you know she's she's okay we haven't you know 
we talked to her about not having personal information on there, not allowing like random strangers to befriend her or whatever. So we have those conversations, but um, we haven't felt a need to kind of like really clamp down and, and do anything really stringent. Yeah. How old is she? She just turned 16. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I will give me the same point where she's like, I'm doing good in school and yet you still live at my apps. And I'm like, so I keep telling myself, okay, when she hits 15, I don't know why this magic number, you know, but I do think that there's something about getting just past these, this transition into teenhood, you know, and then she starts high school next year. So I'm a little bit, um, well, obviously in this moment, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but trying to make, cause I know it's going to be a hard transition, you know, no matter what. Yeah. So how do I support her in that transition, but also is to give her the flexibility to grow um, as a young person, you know, and that's one of the reasons. So I'm doing a quince for my daughter next year. She'll be training 15. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and for me, the, one of the reasons I want to do it is, well, cause I do see it as a coming of age ceremony, you know, and, mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll do a ceremony at, you know, we don't do a ch- church thing, but then the party and, um, and I, the, one of the reasons I'm, I want to do it though is cause I do think it's like, there's something about being able to look forward to some, like when you're 13 and feel miserable, um, and yeah. there's like something to look forward to. And so whatever that might be, it's different for everybody. But for me, it was really important to bring uh, like our community together, our family together, and in a, even in a small way for her to know that we're surrounded in community and we're acknowledging your transition into a different moment in your life. And we want to honor you, you know? And so that'll be in February and I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to it. And, and then, yeah, I guess in my head, there's like something about that moment where like, okay, Michelle, you gotta now trust that all the lessons, you know, that you've shared with her well she's just gonna enact them and and let her go you know in that way anyway so i think it's a it's a still i think a beautiful ritual for those reasons that you mentioned and that's really nice to be able to market that way yeah thank you um well gosh we've been talking for a while and i feel like there's so much more we can talk about but i know this is already a long a long moment and um, Judy, did you have any last thoughts or Sonia, anything that you wanted to add before we start concluding our podcast? Yes, Sonia. So any other advice that you have for us as we prepare for our future little teens? Um, any hope you want to leave us with? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that if you're, if you're going about this whole, you know, parenting journey with really good intentions, um, I, I mean, I think there's going to be payoff at the end and and being like deliberate and thoughtful about it isn't a guarantee that you're doing it right but it's that you're going to get it right every single time but it at least feels like you're not you know doing it without a foundation or, or guidance um it's something you can you know come back to for us it's it's about being super open and honest and, and just truthful as i mentioned earlier having that way to communicate. I want them to know that even when they mess up, that I'm someone that they can come to and trust that I'm not going to like, you know, that my love is not going to be based on a decision, right? Like it's bigger and deeper than that. Um, That they know that I'll be there to support them even through really tough moments. Um, and, And so just as long as you, you know, are operating from that space that in the end, it's going to work out. Like there's going to, there's going to be tough times, but there's also going to be so many good times and you're going to see those, you know, benefits kind of come full circle and come around. Um, I'm still trying, you know, we are, have, have two that are, um, Hema's turning 20 on Tuesday. And, you know, there, it's so funny because, you know, she keeps talking about, um, we just moved back in, into the house like this is her room and her space and she wants it this way and I just kind of like it's so funny that I mean I know this is a weird period of time but this really isn't going to be her room for long like she's 20 like she's going to go out in the world and have and then she will not keep coming back like that's my you know 
my expectation that, that I've prepared her to go and do that, um, that we've prepared her to go and do that. Um, and that, and I can feel not fearful of that, but hopeful, like excited for her, right? Like that's something that we can both um, look forward to the way that she's gonna make her mark on the world and become her own person. And um, those are just as important moments as like, you know, holding them while they're nursing or holding them when they're asleep or, mm-hmm. you know, when they're learning to read and, and you, you know, those, it, it's just as important. It's just as exciting. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Sonia, for your time, for your, you know, um, your thoughtfulness. Uh, I feel really, I feel a, a little more prepared and, and I feel like I, <laughs> I need to go back to my daughter and be a little bit more compassionate. So thank you. Thank you for that. And, and at some point, maybe we can follow up, do a follow up around like mental health for teens and what that looks like, and because um, it's another area that I think we could we could spend some time on, right? So, anyways, thank you, Judy, for the questions. Thank you both for your time, and I look forward to um, being in conversation with you again. Thank you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you both. Please don't forget to follow us on social media at Chicana Motherwork on Instagram and Facebook and at Chicana Mothers on Twitter. And please rate our podcast so people like you can find us. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We want to thank Dr. Marta Gonzalez for giving us permission to use the music of Entre Mujeres Sirena for our intro and Vagabundo from Quetzal for our outro. To purchase our book, you can order it through the University of Arizona Press and you can find the link on our website at chicanamotherwork.com. If you want to book us for events, email us at chicanamotherwork at gmail.com or for any other question or to engage with us, we look forward to hearing from you.